I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ today. It's a joy to be with you in God's house again. Seems like it happens every week, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a great time that we come together, God's people, as we, as we seek him together from last week's sharing together. I, I'd ask you this. Have you put your feet in the water? <laughs> Have you climbed the mountain? Come on now. <laughs> Have you crossed over? Have you crossed over to the, the things that God has for you, the things that he's calling you to? He says, come, come on over to the very best that I have for you today. If you have, then, then many have already reached another place in their spiritual walk that always comes, that, that is always lurking somewhere within our spiritual experience. You've been there, you've, you've seen it, you've been a part of it. It's something that comes our way, especially if we've been pressing into a greater walk with God. Have you ever done that? You you seek to, to go closer to God, to go deeper in his word, to experience him to a greater level. You've put your feet in the water, you've climbed the mountain, you've, you've crossed over, and then something's coming, something's gnawing, it's not always in your face, sometimes it's subtle. It's a type of offering that comes straight right from the enemy. You can count on him, he'll be there. When we commit to fully following Christ, we will be confronted with what? Temptation. This is news. Is this news? <laughs> You're not surprised, are you? It comes. It comes. I would venture to say that this day everyone knows what I'm talking about. Temptation, we've all been there. We've all experienced that. First service was much more in agreement with that statement. <laughs> There's a story of an enthusiast or an enthusiastic but somewhat unscrupulous salesman who was waiting to see the purchasing agent of an engineering firm, and the salesman was there to submit his company's bid or his price quote for the particular job. And he couldn't help but notice, though, however, that the competitor's bid, the, the person that was bidding against him, it was on the agent's table also. Unfortunately, the actual figure, the number was covered up by a can of juice. And the temptation to see the amount quoted became just too much for him. So the salesman reached over, the, the, the purchasing agent had left the room for just a moment. The salesman reached over to lift the can so he could see the amount of his competitor's bid. And his heart sank as he watched thousands of BBs pour out from the bottomless can that he lifted off of that desk. Can you imagine it? It's going to be hard to put all those back. I would like to start this morning with just a few misunderstandings about temptation. This is number one. You, you've, you've probably felt it or uh, uh, thought of it yourself. Temptation itself is sin. That's a misunderstanding, is it not? Temptation itself is sin? It's not. It's not. That's a misunderstanding. How about this one? We fall into temptation. Oops. <laughs> I mean, have you ever sinned and you, you thought for a minute, oops? No, no, those are conscious decisions. We don't fall into temptation. How about this one? God is disappointed and displeased when we are tempted. No, no, I think you're in 
union with the first service. They, they, didn't, they didn't go for that either. How about this one? To be strongly tempted means that we are as guilty as if we had actually committed the sin. Boy, I grew up with that one. <laughs> the, I don't know what it was. that If they put it on me or if I just assumed it, it was just there all the time. I feel horrible for the temptation I'm under. That wasn't until I was about 27 that I got over that. Can you imagine that? Going 27 years of your life all wrapped up about something that you didn't do. <laughs> and you just feel wrong. It's just amazing to have freedom in Jesus. Amen? Amen. How about this one? We overcome all temptation by separation from it. Has that always worked with our kids? <laughs> uh, don't touch that. Let's move over here. And where are they? They're back here. <laughs> Want to touch that again? You know, the, 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 somehow separation from the temptation itself will mean that we won't be tempted in that way anymore, and that's not how that works either. How about this? When I'm spiritually mature, when I really reach diamond, well, not diamond direct, but when I really, when I really reach that place in my spiritual life of maturity, I will no longer be harassed by temptation. Yeah, you're not buying any of those, are you? We want to read from God's Word this morning, uh, and I'd ask you to follow along the screen or on your own devices, or yes, even your hard copy, if you carry a hard copy of the Bible. Let's follow along as we share from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It just simply says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then came, he became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And uh, But he answered them, he said, As written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up. They will bear you up that so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to them, but on the other hand, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things will I give you if you fall down, if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only and then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father, great, we're grateful people. Uh, sometimes, maybe not as much as we should be, but we are very grateful for this day to be in your presence, to, to worship alongside our brothers and sisters in, in Christ, and to, to glorify you, and then to consider, Lord, what you would share with us this day. We're thankful and grateful for it. Bless as we receive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Robert Penn Warren wrote a novel called All the King's Men, and it was the story of a governor of Louisiana and his rise to power. His name was Willie Stark, and at the end of the story, he is just flat out shot down dead. He, he, he shot and, and killed. And here was, a, a, was found a man who had had everything. He had attained just about everything that you can attain. A man who gained a kingdom and lost all that he ever had. And 2,000 years earlier, there was a man from Galilee, and he said this, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world 
but lost his soul? What, what good would it do to gain everything that we can gain, but then to lose our soul in the end? Perhaps when he made that statement, he was not only addressing it to those that were, that, that were there hearing him, but also maybe he was looking back at a time and a decision in his own life, decisions that he had made uh, back when, when he was being tempted. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked back and thought to yourself, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for leading me into your, your paths of righteousness. I had a decision to make back then, and, and you, you, you helped me. You led me into your right ways, into your righteousness, and you guided me into your ways everlasting. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Have you ever looked back and thought about what he's kept you from? What he's helped you navigate in things that you didn't, that you look back now and go, thank you, Lord. Knowing that the decision to follow his ways was the best decision that you ever made in your life. There's something so interesting and compelling about the man from Galilee. He, he's captivated the hearts and the minds of the people throughout 20 centuries. He, he transcends time and space and culture and custom and, and race and language, all of that. He transcends all of it. There, there's just something there within him that always speaks to us so clearly. We see it throughout the Gospels, everywhere he went, in everything he said and did, Son of God and Son of Man, and we know that he became one of us. Well, he was a little bit better than that, wasn't he? No, he became one of us. Yeah, but he was God. Yes, he was all fully God, but he was all fully man. He is the answer to all our struggles, and yet we see him struggling with the things that he faced. And as he finds the way for himself through those, he also finds the way for each one of us as well. For we're to pattern our lives after him, are we not? You're a quiet group today, aren't you? Man, you're worried about the snow tonight, aren't you? You're just thinking, you haven't heard, have you? No, because of what he had been through, he had, he had navigated a way for us also. We see the truth this morning at the beginning of Christ's ministry. He had left his home in Galilee, and he went down to the Jordan Valley to, to a place at the river. John was there, John the Baptist. John baptized Jesus in that river. And then that voice, oh, the big thunderous voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Matthew writes in the very next chapter, in the very next verse, that immediately following his baptism, that Jesus faces these temptations, the greatest temptations of his life. You, you know what? It's true for us also. It's true for us also when we decide to, uh, to put our feet in the water, when we decide to climb that mountain, to come back that, down that mountain, when we decide to cross over to the things that are the better things that God has for us, when we decide to do that, there's always something waiting for us. And Jesus, he was facing, he faces these temptations, the greatest temptations of his life. And we do also, anytime that we've made a, a move further and closer and, and, and more towards God, there's a period coming of trying or testing of being led to a place of temptation. You see, the issue was not whether Jesus would rule the world, but how he would take the world. Uh, so out there in the wilderness, Jesus struggled with what he would do, with, with two things, what he would do 
and how he would do it. He struggled with those things. What he would do and how that he would do it. Sometimes we might not take that so seriously. We may not think Jesus really tempted the, the way that we get tempted. I mean, he didn't live in the world that we live. And, and there's so much more stuff out there today. There's so much more stuff that we can be tempted with. Not our Jesus. No, he was Jesus. Jesus is God. He has a God-sized tools to overcome those temptations. But he was not just fully God. He was fully man. He was all God and he was all man with all the potential, all the frailties that come with being in the flesh. You see, the temptations of Jesus were real temptations. They weren't just a little story in the Bible to kind of relate to us a little bit. They were real temptations. Jesus was tempted. The New Testament clearly states this. Matthew tells us plainly that Jesus was in the wilderness and tempted by the devil. He did not say that Jesus wandered, wandered or imagined or was, was tricked or wooed or, or that he considered his other options. He, he tells us that he was tempted and that he went there to be tempted. Mark tells us he was tempted. Luke tells us that he was tempted, and John does not take the time to mention it. However, the book of Hebrews tells us he was in all points tempted like as we are in all points. Hebrews 4.15, you know, the city of Jericho isn't far from the place where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. They, they say that you can stand there in Jericho and you can look into the Judean hills to a place called the Mount of Temptation. It is easy to imagine Jesus being up there by himself, fasting for 40 days, alone and hungry, struggling with what he would do and how that he would do it. We can imagine that. We can read the story and bring up the imagination and watch that scene as we read through it. Surely he must have sought, he must have thought of some easy ways, easier ways to do what he had to do. This was the temptation of his life. And notice that each temptation is connected with, with an if. If. That's how the world works, does it not? If you give me $1,000, I'll give you a diamond ring. That's how I, I didn't say it that way when I was in the jewelry business. But, but there, there's always a given, if you will, then I will. If you'll do this, then I'll do that. If you'll do this much work, you'll get this much promotion. There's always an if that is, is calling us. Notice that each temptation, it says, if you are, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, and if you fall down and worship me, the devil attacks Jesus he attacks who Jesus is with that small little word, if. If you really are, then prove yourself. If you really are the Son of God, let me have you jump through my hoops in order to prove yourself true. Satan attacks what he believes would be Jesus' greatest weaknesses. The devil, Satan, also known as the tempter, he will always come the enemy has no new ways to tempt in his arsenal. I've been watching him do it uh, in my own life, in the lives of people that I've served over the last probably, what, 40 years, watching him do the same thing over and over, nothing really new. He starts his attacks with doubt. He wants you to doubt. If he can get us to doubt, to doubt that we are, are, are good enough or that we aren't good enough or to doubt that we are strong enough or, or smart enough, 
If he can just get us to back off, back up, or back down, he'll have us where he wants us. If we will engage him at this early level of temptation, the enemy stands to throw us off of our walk with God, to derail us from our engaged relationship with Jesus, and he does it with a small little doubt. You remember in the garden, don't you, with the apple? Did God really say that? Is that what God really meant? This all started when we were very young. You might remember. The pattern began when our friends would say, I dare you to. I, I dare you. They'd say, I double dare you. And then they'd say, I double dog dare you. I'm not sure what the difference was between I dare you and I double dog dare you, but it was something that mattered to us. It would cause us to maybe jump off a two-story building. <laughs> they do it these days on YouTube and land on their skateboard. I don't know how they do it without breaking their legs. But I double dog dare you. It started when we were very young, and we'd know better. We'd know that this is not a good idea, but hey, they're daring me. I mean, you got to respond, right? The temptation started early in our lives, calling into question who we are, who we were. Uh, it always started with, if you are, and it ended with, then you will. If you are, then you will. If you're tough enough, if you're strong enough, if you aren't a chicken. See, that was the big one, man. At the end, they'd say, oh, you're a chicken. Oh, that, that just ends it. I got to jump, don't I? They called me a chicken. If you aren't a chicken, if, you're, if you are smart enough, tall enough, or pretty enough, you name it. If you are, then you will. And it continues as we enter into adulthood. The tempter always brings doubt. If you'll undermine the boss, you'll get ahead. If you'll fudge the numbers on your tax form, you'll get more back. If you'll speak negatively or tear others down with your words, you'll get ahead. Or things will be better for you in the end. In our text this morning, Jesus is tempted. He's tempted in his power. He's tempted in his popularity. And he's also tempted in his partnership. Number one, Jesus was tempted with the improper use of his power. Jesus certainly had the power. He had all the power was given to him. You see, Jesus was tempted by the wrong use of power. That was the first temptation. Matthew tells us the tempter came and Jesus said, if you, or he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread, and then Matthew writes, but he answered, it is written. It's always good to answer those questions with it is written. Of course, you'll need to know what was written. <laughs> so we probably ought to read the word and know how to respond. But he, he responds, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, Jesus knew the answer was not in the wrong use of power. That would never relieve his hunger, oh, maybe for a moment. But not the real hunger, for he must not live by bread, but by the word of God, his Father. Jesus understood the power that he had. He knew how he could use his power, this power that is his. Here he was in a time of fasting, and the tempter tells him that he could use his power to get bread to feed himself. This would take care of two challenges. It would prove who he was, and it would satisfy his hunger what a temptation that must have been after 40 days out in the wilderness. Not eating, praying, seeking, not taking in any nourishment. And what can you imagine it? But Jesus knew he must not give in or for any kind of personal gain or comfort for himself. 
Instead, Jesus found out how it was that he was to use what God had given him, the correct use of who he was and what he had. Isn't that the same temptation that we face these days? Isn't it? The wrong use of who we are and what we have, the the wrong use of what God has given us for our lives. This is the temptation which comes up before us every day. God's blessed us, every one of us, abundantly. If you just look real deep into your life and you see how God's brought you along the way, you would agree God has blessed us tremendously and abundantly. And we must use who we are and what he has given us in ways that reflect the life and the love of Jesus That's how we are to use our lives, use the power that we have and all that he has given us, giving who we are and what we have to those who are in need, giving of ourselves for the sake of others. That's the kingdom of God, giving ourselves over to love and to serve others. There's a Sunday school teacher once asked the kids in her class what God had given the children of Israel to eat while they were in the wilderness. One little girl answered immediately. She knew the answer, manna teacher said, that's right. And what else, she asked. And after a long pause, one little boy replied, Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. <laughs> and he was correct also. It was a dew that, that, that became the manna. You see, God, God provides for his own. He provides for each one of us. No matter where we might find ourselves, in a, we always think of that in terms of economics. But you think about how we are blessed to start out. Just that we, we responded to his call in our life to receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. And when we did that, we got everything. We got it all. He gave us all of who he is. God provides for his own. God has blessed us, all of us, and he uses who we are and what we have to do with it to bless others. One of our temptations is to use the power that God has given us just for who we are and what we have to benefit only ourselves. We just use it for ourselves. The life, teachings, and example of Jesus Christ all call us to the right use of who we are and what we have. We are called to respond the way Jesus did with the right use of what God has given us. We are called to do our best. And that challenge is always facing us each and every day. To go out and do our very best for God. Not just be a good employer, a good employee, but to to be the very best that God has called us to be. Someone once said, do the best you can with what you have where you are. Sometimes we're not where we think we're going to be forever. But he says, do the best you can with what you have right where you are. Marshal Ney was one of Napoleon's commanders, and when he had lost all of his men on the Russian front, he went back to see Napoleon. He told Napoleon that he had, he had tried and that he had failed. Napoleon asked how he might know that he had done his best, and they answered this way. He said, sir, I would ask of you no more than I have done. Now, I wonder if we can say that. I wonder if we can say when we've done our best that we, we would ask no one else to do any more than what we have attempted to do. You see, Jesus asks no more of us than what he has done himself. It has to do with the right and the best use of the power that we possess as his followers, who we are and what we have. How will you use that power this week? How will you use it? Who will, you, who will we bless as God has blessed us? You see, I don't have much. You don't need much. 
It doesn't require a whole lot of money to bless other people. Oh, that may be one way, but there are so many other ways to bless and to, to pour ourselves out for others. You could sign up for the 14th of this month and, and be a part of the group that goes out to, to help and serve and love other people. We're going to do that as a, as a, as a body, uh, those that will sign up to go out and take what God has given us and use it for the good of others. Not only was Jesus tempted by the wrong use of power, Jesus was tempted by a wrong way of popularity. Think about it. That was the second temptation. Matthew tells us the tempter came to Jesus and said, as he showed him a view from the pinnacle of the temple, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels charge over you. Certainly you won't lose anything here. Go ahead and do it to prove yourself. You see, the temptation was to do something spectacular and win some kind of great following. But Jesus knew he could, he could not do it. He could not do that. And Matthew tells us, Matthew tells us that he replied, It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Once again, using the word of God, Jesus understood there were no easy ways to becoming popular. Popularity and acceptance were not even what he sought. He sought only to serve his Father God and establish his kingdom. Can you imagine what temptation that must have been like? Uh, to, to, to be in such a state of need and hunger and to be told you can, you can prove yourself here. To be able to prove yourself with the power that you have, would you do it? Would we do it? If we had that kind of power, would we prove ourselves that way? Oh, we turn the tide, would we not? We'd fix all the ills of our society that, that is out there today. We, we talk about it a lot. I see it talked online all the time. Here's what ought to happen. Here's what's going on that's so horrible. Here's what ought to happen. Here's what I, I wonder if we had the power, would we change it? Would we immediately change it? Or would we, would we know who we are and what we're supposed to do? Would we know who we are and what we're to come to do? Would we want the popularity to have all the answer to all the questions? Would we want to use the power to serve ourselves and have what we want? Or would we deny this power, knowing who we are and what we are to be doing? See, Jesus knew he must not give in. He must not seek this kind of popularity that is so easily won. Instead, Jesus found out how he was to go about his ministry, how he was to give himself and not hold himself up. You see, his father, God, would do that later while he's on the cross. He knew that if he was lifted up in this way, in this popular way, by way of the cross, though, through the will of the Father, he would, through obedience to his Father and his own sacrificial death on the cross, that he would draw all people to himself. He knew that. Is this not the temptation that we face? The wrong way of popularity and acceptance through vain one-upsmanship, through clawing our way to the top of a popularity chain. You see, you, you see it on so many reality shows these days. Grab for what you want. Be confident in your own abilities. Take out those who are in your way and get the attention that you deserve. You deserve this kind of attention. Take out those that are in your way. It's a favorite of the enemy's offering of his tricks for us to buy into being bigger and better than others. Feeding our egos and not watching out for others. There are those that will do almost anything to gain popularity and acceptance. And we must reject that temptation. 
to think of only ourselves instead of others. It doesn't mean that we don't strive to be the best that we can be in the fields that we're in. I knew a man in Topeka that he has absolutely become the furniture king of Kansas. He was the most humble servant of God. He always gave time to serve God uh, in a lot of different ways throughout the church. He was always with our youth program, uh, a, a standard there, serving, loving kids, helping kids, being a part of the, the, the ministry. Not the main part of the ministry, just a supportive role in that ministry. And I always thought when I'd see him, i think, man, you're too, he's too busy. He's got to be too busy for that. He's got to be way too busy for that. But he'd serve anyway more than, than, than many others that uh, I'd see along the way. Just amazing. There was a woman that was all caught up in the Christmas rush. She was also so particular about being perfect at her decorations and everything around the house and being on time with everything at the Christmas season. It was important to her that others could see how on top of things that she really was. And finally, she had everything done that Christmas Eve, but she remembered that she had forgotten to put her, send her cards out. You ever done that? Didn't get the cards out? Have they ever been sitting there about January 15th, and they're still sitting there, and you know, we were going to send those out, but they didn't get out. Well, she, she, it was terrible for her because she was so perfect at it all the time. So she ran out to the store real quickly, and she bought 50 cards. And she made her way back home. She addressed them. She stamped, all, she stamped 49 of them, and then she rushed to the post office to get them mailed out. And when she came home after dinner, she sat down for a moment. She looked at the one card that was left. She didn't really take time to read them. She saw the picture on the card, thought it was pretty, thought this would be a good card. She opened the card, the one that she had left, and inside the card read this. This card is just to say a special gift is on its way. Sounds like in being perfect, she made a whole lot more work for herself. Sometimes we would do just anything to gain that popularity or acceptance or be seen in a particular light. Young people face it today. We call it peer pressure. Adults face it. We call it keeping up. Got to keep up. But the call of God in our lives is not to bow to peer pressure. It's not to just keep up and, uh, and become the most popular, keep up the appearances and, and just become that popular person. It is instead to call a call to be faithful followers who, like Jesus, seek to serve and to establish his kingdom, to, to be about what he has called us to be and use what he has given us to bless others. One of the leaders of the early church was Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna. He, he was brought to trial by the authorities and told he must renounce his Christian faith. Many of them went through that back then. He replied, four score and six years have I served him. He meant God. And he never did me wrong. How then can I revile my king, my savior? They took him out and they put him to death, burned him at the stake. And later when the Christians wrote their history of that period, they said, Polycarp was martyred. Statius Quadratus being proconsul of Asia and Jesus Christ being king forever. You see, they recognized that even though this humble follower of Christ had been rejected by the world, he was highly esteemed by God, and nothing could change that since Jesus Christ is king forever and ever. 
This is how it will be for those who follow Christ. They will share in his power, his glory, his eternal reign. We are called today to be the people who are faithful, who seek to serve God and his kingdom. There was a third temptation, though. It was one that we look at and we think, why would Satan even bother? Why would he bother with that? How is it that he thought that he could get Jesus to bow down? You see, number three, Jesus was tempted with the wrong type of partnership. He's offered an alternative plan for partnership. Matthew tells us the tempter came to Jesus, showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and said, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus, I imagine by this time he's getting a little perturbed. Can you imagine Jesus perturbed? (laughs) And he simply says this, he says, be gone, Satan. Take a hike, Mike. Get the Get away from me. Get out of here. I love that. Hey, be gone, Satan. Sometimes I think that we we think that we can't do that. Why is it that we think that we can't do that? Be gone, Satan. But we can. See, we can resist. James 4 7 tells us resist the devil and he'll what? Flee. He has to flee. I love that. If he hasn't flown. I was going to say fleeing, but that won't work. If he hasn't left, then maybe we haven't resisted. Maybe it's time to resist, even in the little things that tend to want to trip us up. I used to sing a song that said, at the name of Jesus, Satan has to flee. At the name of Jesus, he said he'd hear our every plea. Let us speak his name. Let his children proclaim that there is power through his precious name. And there is. We don't fight the battles. He fights them for us. He's already won. I read the back of the book in Revelation. He won. We win. We win. Hallelujah, we win. I read the back of the book, and we win. And what's Jesus' answer to Satan's advance? For it is written. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Jesus knew that he could never be partners with the devil. He could never compromise who he was and what he was about. Jesus understood that there never could be a partnership with that guy. The tempter told him that he could have the whole world. All Jesus had to do was worship him, and he could take the world. What a temptation that must have been, in that maybe weakened state, strengthened from within, but yes, hungry, But you see, and thanks be to God, Jesus knew he must not give in. And he used the tools, spiritual tools that are available to him. Would have been easy in the flesh to do what he knew he could do, but he did not. He was to have no such partnership or compromise with anyone. Instead, Jesus found out how he was to worship and serve his heavenly father. Isn't that a temptation that we face? Oh, we don't face it in terms of, the devil never comes to us and says, hey, I think you should rob that store. He hadn't done that to me anyway, ever in my life. And he doesn't come to me and say, hey, you ought to, you know, the big magnanimous things that we would go, that's really silly. And he comes to us with the small small things, the tinier things, the things that will just get us slightly off course. If you're an engineer, you know that if you're just off this much here, way up here, you'll be off 
this much. That's the amazing feat of the St. Louis Arch as they built it from both sides. And had it not been perfect, it would have never worked or it would look a lot different at the top. That's the kind of temptation we face, the wrong kind of partnership, the compromise of who we are. We so often would rather a partnership than a covenant. Partnerships were probably a little more favorable to break, but covenant? I tell you today that this is the temptation which comes before us, that we worship at the feet of something that we want, something that gratifies our flesh rather than to worship God and Him alone. That we long for the things of this world and not the things of His world. Oh, how the enemy would want that we choose His devices or vices over God's best for each one of us, that we might succumb to Satan's empty offerings and worship at His false altar. There are so many of them. Late at night, I should probably turn the main one off. The altars that we spend so much time at. They used to say, if you want to find out what a person's true love is, just to look in their checkbook. Sometimes it can just be what we spend most of our time at. So we must remember our covenant with God. And we have to hear the call of God to come and to live in covenant and to be his children. You see, Jesus made his way through these temptations because he remembered who he was and whose he was. He had known it all along. And in between his baptism and his temptations, he heard the voice of God tell him, this is my beloved son. I'm very pleased. He, he never forgot it. It was the voice of his father calling him. There was a boy whose behavior was just terrible. We've never known any like that. But his mother noticed a change in him. Something had changed. He seemed to be making an effort to be a very thoughtful and kind type of a young boy. And one day she decided to ask him what was going on with him. And he told her the other day at church, the preacher put his hand on my head and said, you're a fine boy. I knew he would be disappointed if he found out that I wasn't, so I decided to try to be one. He never forgot it. It was like the voice of God calling him. Today, God calls our names. He says, you're good. I've redeemed you. I've changed you. I've come in to live with you. He calls to us and says, follow me. Come to me if you're down. He wants to give us rest and peace for the day. How are you doing with the temptations of the day that we live in? Is it overcoming you or are you, are you overcoming? And how do we do that? How do we overcome? We resist. We must flee. He must flee. We resist. He must flee. In the book of Revelation, we see a glimpse of how it is that we overcome. It says it there, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. How are you using your power this day? Is it for your own good or for the good of others? Are you seeking your own way of being popular or important or do you find your worth in the value your worth and value through Christ and following his ways 
Who is it that you're partnering with? Satan says, look what I can give you. And Jesus says, look what I've already given you. The temptations will never stop in this life. For as we find victory over one, the enemy just serves up another. But through the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony, we have the victory. We do. You want to have victory over it this week? Testify. Struggling with something in some area of your life? Call somebody up right at that moment and tell them what God did in your life when he saved you, when you were baptized, when he filled you with his presence. The word of our testimony. James 1 says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, and I would add sisterin. Or in Texas they say all y'all. Consider it all joy, all y'all, when you encounter various trials, and that Greek word means temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials and temptations. If they're not here yet, they're on their way. Resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. Stand with me, will you?